0: This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome back to our podcast. Yes, like a certain Aberdeen manager, we're still here, allegedly going strong, despite indicators very much to the contrary. And this week, I'm joined by our Africa and LNG editor, Ed Reid. And digital journalist Hamish Penman. Hamish, you have been down south this week, but uh, not to Darvel. to clarify.
1: No, not too far away, actually, I don't think. But um, yeah, more to come on that. But my trip south seems to have absolutely destroyed my laptop. So if I'm sounding rather poor, rather poor audio quality today, then that's why I'm on my phone.
0: I've told you not to throw your laptop around at the offshore renewables conference. He just
2: gets so angry. It just just all builds up and then wallop. Out it comes. I know. I know, Ed. When I talk
0: about Darvel and Aberdeen football managers, has, has does that mean anything to you at this stage? Have you is that news caught you?
2: Absolutely not. I'm just I'm just here nodding and smiling politely. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, Darvel. Well,
0: on Scottish national uh, headlines, I appreciate it probably would not make it to UK national, but Scottish national. Um, I guess we had a running order of stories, like, and they had like you know the. I think I think it came before the Oscar nominations or something. It was Aberdeen losing to. Sixth, sixth tier, I think. Hamish Darvill. Sixth
1: tier, yeah. To to put it in context, Ed, it's the equivalent of Tottenham losing to Chester. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, um, but uh, the manager Jim Goodwin has uh, managed to stay on for for the time being, at least as we record. Um, So we'll see what happens. But anyway, I hope everyone who isn't necessarily a fan of football hasn't tuned out. So let's get on with it. Um, There has been um, one major story this week that readers will be familiar with. That is the incident on the. Volaris 121 rig on Sunday. As we record now, rumors are still abound. Uh, Confirmed details are pretty scant. So what we'll do is we'll revisit that at a time when more becomes clear. Uh, For now, you'll find the latest on energyvoice.com and we'll just say that our thoughts, of course, are with the person's uh, family. Um, For now, let's look elsewhere. And one of the stories getting good traction and interest this week is this uh, golden opportunity ahead for the UK supply chain through a dozen or so upcoming projects in the North Sea and west of Shetland. We've got new research from the NSTA, the regulator, and the Global Underwater Hub, who will host the Subsea Expo in Aberdeen next month, uh, looking pretty much exactly what will be needed for these projects in terms of the amounts of pipeline, wells drilled, vessel days, rig days. doesn't necessarily mean a lot to the general public, but if you're Ofe, and, and I basically, I'm, I'm very basically Ofe with it, <laughs> um, in the offshore space, you'll realize uh, how much money we're talking about here. And I won't list all the projects, but <clears throat> certainly uh, Cambo, Rosebank, Shell Jackdaw, BP Merla, Pink Petroleum's Avalon are among them. We don't have the overall investment figure here, but, you know, we do have, for example, you know, Equinor for Rosebank have already said £6.3 billion of UK investment. Shell said £500 million UK investment for Jackdaw back when they were tussling with Opred for approval. Um, so decent prices ahead. And yeah, some impressive numbers here. 3,900 rig days for these 12 projects. If you consider, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds per day for rigs, depending on the type, that's a, a big number and for 7 of the 12 projects the majority of the offshore work is expected to get underway this year and next year and the point that's being made is that the figures show you know domestic oil and gas projects will continue to drive economic growth that's according to GUH and the NSTA regulator safeguard employment for hundreds of existing skilled workers and they also emphasize the sheer volume of rig and vessel capacity needed for the sector, which, you know, despite a recent kind of boon due to the energy supply crisis sparked by Russia, the sector has faced pretty significant pressure in recent years amid COVID-19 and the 2014-2015 oil downturn before that. So, you know, I think people do think, you know, high oil prices, everything's healthy, but actually activity's ramping up and you kind of need the skilled workers, which is part of what this exercise is for, I would say, and we're very much in a skills deficit now. We seem to be hearing about that all the time and I'm sure we'll t- get onto that sort of thing when Hamish talks about the offshore wind conference. But for you know our upcoming subsea supplement, we're talking to Global Underwater Hub who tell us that 20%, 20% of the UK's subsea industry capacity has been lost since that 2014-15 downturn. We know that during COVID-19 we lost about 30,000 jobs from the UK uh, industry um, according to OeUK figures. So people are leaving. Um, do need to see that pipe. We do need to see that pipeline of work ahead to ensure investment. There's competition with other sectors now, such as renewables, as that ramps up. And what's not necessarily making life easier is the messaging from political parties. I expect. So I, I guess having these, you know, we, we have, as I say, we've had a lot of interest in this particular story, and it's just kind of recapping a, a, a degree of what we know about these projects coming up. Um, but perhaps a positive sign on what has been pretty stormy weather for the North Sea recently and um, what do you guys make of all of that?
1: It all seemed pretty buoyant I mean did, was there much kind of acknowledgement of the the potential impacts of the windfall tax on all of these projects I know they're quite big spend which probably actually makes them even more attractive than, than they would be it's the the small spend um, fields that are probably going to suffer as as Alex Kemp told us recently but I mean, it, it seems like there's lots of buoyant predictions but there's that constant uncertainty that the industry is battling at the moment which I think is the perhaps the, the spectre that looms behind all of these things.
0: Yeah. No, yeah, it's a, it's, it's absolutely the right point. I mean, so I, I, I guess for the majority of the projects, they said seven out of 12, the offshore work, the big spend is going to be this year and next year. So another way of saying that might be before the next general election where uh, an impending Labour government uh, comes in. Uh, so no, they didn't directly address the windfall tax stuff. And yeah, for the projects that are a bit further down the line than that um yeah i guess we'll see um that s- certainly it would be naive to suggest there couldn't be any impact on them due to the levy uh, for those that don't know the, as things stand under the conservative government the energy profits levy has an investment incentive for new projects um and the and you know if the Conservatives won the next general election, there's no reason to think that would change. However, Labour are polling 20 points ahead. Um, and uh, when, if and when they come into power, they've not been ambiguous here. The, the intention is to get rid of the, the giveaway, in quotes, or, uh, yeah, as relates to the windfall tax, they intend to hike that tax as well. And, yeah, the very real risk of uh, an impact on projects. But for the time being, at least... Um, yeah, you'd think the seven projects which are likely to get underway this year, 2024, they should be pretty safe, you'd have thought, knock on wood. Um, so yeah, that's great. But yeah, no, t- I mean, Hamish, that was quite an interesting line you mentioned about Alec Kemp. Tell us a bit more about what he was saying about all this.
1: Yes, we're actually, it was a chat I had with him more in relation to the to the Scottish energy strategy and their presumption against um, oil and gas exploration. But we was kind of looking to get to the salient point of, if there's no more exploration, what reserves remain and what reserves would be economically viable to pull out. And he was very much kind of, rather than the energy strategy, it's the uncertainty around oil and gas prices, because they'll be using far longer term projections, which will be well below what we've seen trading in the last year, year and a half. Um, and the uncertainty around the windfall tax, especially because they've already, did, UK government already pushed back the date on that once, there's a real fear that they're going to do so again. So he made the point that that uncertainty is really going to hamper companies' um, willingness to invest in in smaller fields. Now those smaller fields make up the vast majority of the reserves that are left in the North Sea, and even those that might be recovered under licensing, it's very unlikely there will be any big fines. They're going to be these small, probably tiebacks to other uh, installations, which actually means that there will be relatively... Um, Friendly, well, friendly to the environment as well, and relatively cheap to do. But there's about three hundred, he says that that might might well just get abandoned now because companies aren't going to be willing to take that risk in them. Um, and his modelling, or modelling carried out by Aberdeen Uni, and I think there's talk we might be able to get to see that at some point soon. That suggests that these are just going to be are going to be left where they are and, and untapped.
0: Indeed, yeah. Uh, well, I think we'll we'll park that there. Thanks, Hamish. Um, and next, we'll stick with offshore, but we'll move to renewables, and we'll hear the latest
2: from the offshore wind conference in Glasgow. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports, and additional content free access to the energy voice live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to energy voice events for a 30-day free trial subscription to the energy voice website and app visit energyvoice.com subscriptions join the global energy conversation with energy voice Hey Mish, uh you love wind,
0: as we always say at Energy Voice Towers, and I understand you've been in a room with other people that also uh, love wind. Uh, some some big names and, and lots of different issues at the renewables Scottish Renewables Conference.
1: Yeah, lots of heavy metal fans in Glasgow over the last couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, you can have that one for free. But yeah, the Scottish Renewables uh, Offshore Wind Conference, uh, second time I've been to it now, I was there last year actually, it's a good event, nice to see some familiar faces, catch up with people that you've only emailed before or chatted to over the phone so it was good from that that point of view of course but yeah some interesting speakers there as well a uh, lot of sessions to be getting around i was fairly burnt out come three o'clock on on thursday but no there was a lot of very interesting discussions had i think first it's just it's really funny going to these types of conferences and then going to oil and gas conferences just the juxtaposition between the the kind of rhetoric of these wind conferences are so upbeat and so optimistic almost to kind of a sickly degree at certain so sometimes and then you've got will probably go to subsea expo where there'll be a almost like a, a sheepish apology level of apology from oil and gas companies yeah. and <laughs> we are changing so that's the first point to note but it was um yeah lots of lots of upbeat predictions and and rallying cries and the like but the keynote was from uh Nicholas sturgeon uh it was actually on Burns Night as well, so her speech riffed on that a lot. There was, oh, of course, Burns references course, yeah. to the environment, <laughs> and I think she described it at one point as a prophet. Um, so that was quite the uh, the endorsement. Um, but she also went on, yeah, spoke a lot about the opportunity for wind, what government demands or expects from the sector, not repeating the mistakes of the past in terms of farming out work overseas. She Um, and she also gave quite a good update on the acorn um, carbon capture and storage project uh, saying that she's cautiously optimistic of good progress um, and an update is expected on that in the next couple of months whether that cautious optimism is purely because it's part of the reserve cluster and it would stand to reason that it will be moving forward or she has heard information that would. Concrete information that would suggest that it will be moving forward is uh, is not clear. But yeah, she, And she kind of highlighted the need for the importance of ACORN, especially after Aberdeen missed out on the Green Freeport bids, um, which came out recently. Um, just while we're on that carbon capture piece, there's a certain user on Twitter who keeps comparing carbon capture and storage to the final solution. What the hell? Just just stop all right you're just making yourself look silly what an absolute
0: prick yeah
1: there are many many reasons to be slightly um dubious or questioning of carbon capture and storage but but aligning it to genocide is not one it just makes you sound like a crank so
0: didn't realize that was happening but we'll be blocking him
1: yeah and most carbon capture stories we post actually so that's why it's caught my eye what a prick yeah but then after that we were or i was lucky enough to have all of I think it was two minutes with um with sturgeon as one-on-one she was very very packed and it was literally two minutes and then she had to run into a car so good her to stop but yeah i'll just make a signpost to a piece that i think will be coming out on monday where she addresses some of the criticism of her energy strategy so keep mm. an eye out for that enticing yeah uh, some other notable bits from the conference. Joanne Allday from Port of Cromarty Firth. This is obviously particularly chipper because they were one of the winners of the Green Ports. Delivered a rousing speech um, in defence of the Highlands. Was asked, will you find it difficult to attract skills um, because you are particularly remote? She said, No, I don't think so. We're not remote. Uh, we've got the fastest growing city in the UK and plenty of jobs, beautiful countryside. And there's a chance to reverse the multi-generational exodus of, of skills and young people from the Highlands, so that was quite a, an inspirational and yeah, upbeat line from it um, others on the second day, Alan McCaskill from Kincarda Wind Farm He's was pretty kind of frank about the problems that they've had there, one turbine had to be towed out for repairs another one um, also needs to be repaired and I did notice there was only or one of them wasn't spinning on my way down on the train so that explains that um, and then, yeah, a very good intog session with a number of good speakers. <laughs> um, particularly good line um, from Flotations, Alexander Quayle. Who there is this subsidy basically included as part of the EPL um, subsidy for electrification. Now, was, everyone's been kind of quite upbeat about it, thinks it's a very good thing. Um, he was perhaps a bit more bit bit more dubious. Um, was saying that it might actually distort company spending plans and perhaps increases the viability of just putting a power from shore cable solution, which I think going by the, ind- going by the panel yesterday seems to be the, the least favorable option in the long run.
0: Well, I suppose, I suppose a float, a, a offshore wind conference would
1: say yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen, you've seen right through them. That's,
0: yeah. I mean, that's, that's odd, isn't it? Because I mean, the, the, that part of the EPL, it, it is a subsidy to the oil and gas industry to, uh, yeah, but I, I guess, yeah, there was. Not, I think the legislation it just talks about decarbonising oil and gas projects. There not anything there about, as far as I know, anything specifically talking about which option you'd need to go for? You know, i.e., you know, the government is floating wind targets. I don't think there's anything there saying you need to go for floating wind to do it. Um, I think it's just decarbonising more broadly. And yeah, I mean, if you look at Norway and if you look at what's been done to date in electrification, yeah, power from shore is the Is the more traditional method uh, obviously because floating wind is is not yet commercial so yeah interesting
1: yeah and that's largely i think the case he was specifically pointing to platforms that um probably will be decommissioned in the late 2030s and that it would be uh, wrong for the taxpayer to subsidize companies to put down a power from shore cable for platforms that are then going to be ripped out relatively soon um, whereas if you actually put a floating wind solution at least, then the wind can be repurposed and fed into the national grid. So there is a, a longer term benefit for for the taxpayer from that, rather than just for the oil companies.
0: Yeah, and used for hydrogen, right? Yeah. So there's all kinds of things. Like- yeah,
1: exactly, and, and and that as well. And I suppose there's no reason that said floating wind farms can then be hooked up to other platforms as well, if that was was um, feasible. That, inter- that panel was particularly good. It was really packed out as well. There was clearly a lot of lot of interest in it. Um, it was one of the busiest of the of the entire two days. But yeah, it was a very good conference. Um, looking forward to the next Scotch Renewables one. They are always nice and good speakers at them. Lots of Scotwinds updates and, and the like. So yeah, successful couple of days. But my um, sore throat that I come back with, and my laptop seems to have left its heart and soul in. In, in the moxie next to the sec
0: oh dear well i mean well i'm getting through it yes <laughs> how how, how uh, i mean yeah so we, we're hearing constantly now about investment from overseas and in offshore renewables in scotland and the uk we're hearing not enough obviously uh local content and all the rest of it i mean what was the read of the room like i mean did it have a very international feel or was it very much uh a Scottish affair with Sturgeon and Burns Knight and, and whatever else.
1: It it felt like a very Scottish affair. Just running my head, thinking of the Scotland bidders that were from so Blue Float were there, uh, who are is Spanish, I think. Um Falk Renewables, that they're now called something else which I can't quite remember at the moment, who Italian were there, they were obviously uh Scotland bidders as well. And Northland Power, actually, who are quite an intriguing one. They were they won two sites in Scotland, maybe even three actually. To check that, but they nobody had really heard of them before, they were the real wild card in the whole process. They're a Canadian company, um, and they gave a good update on their kind of projects as well. So it'd be nice to try and pin them down for a chat at some point because they're not not a company I think that most well, I certainly don't know a great deal about, and I think they were the, probably the ones that raised the most eyebrows in Scotland, but yeah, no, it was a very much a, a Scottish focus, and you know, all of those things about work going overseas and stuff, there's all that, that kind of, I suppose, rhetoric at these things of, no, that's not going to happen this time. Now, whether or not that turns out to be the case, we will reconvene in 10 years and and, and see.
0: Indeed, indeed. Okay. Uh, well, thanks, uh, Hamish. Uh, next up, it's another man has been at a conference recently. I don't know whether he'll regale off of his stories of the Equatorial Guinea and uh, the drinks reception or not. But uh, next up, it's, uh, it's Ed Reed and uh, a charm offensive in North Africa from the Italians.
1: As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy
0: Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an
2: increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look
0: out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ed. Uh, what's the buzz uh, between uh, Rome and Algiers at the moment?
2: Sure. So uh, I don't know if you've noticed it, but Europe having a bit of an energy crisis. It turns <laughs> out. Uh, turns out we, uh, you know, need uh, need some of that sweet, sweet gas that uh, we are struggling to get from 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 Russia these days. So. The the EU is obviously you know sort of uh, trying as it's facing a pickle basically it's it's as an organisation it's it's sort of trying to secure gas for all of its uh, all of its member states but obviously the member states have their own plans and desires. And this is uh, manifesting and something of a sort of a race for resources uh, and and Italy's doing sort of uh, particularly well so the uh, the new prime minister Giorgio Maloney was in uh, was in Algeria uh early this week uh talking a good talk uh, Algeria of course a, a kind of a key supplier of, of, of gas to Italy and and, and, a, and a natural home for for any and and the the interesting thing is that the Italians have been talking about this what they call the matte Plan, which is uh, a reference to Enrico Matti, the, uh, the founder of ENI, um, who, who, who died in in 1960s in an unexplained plane crash. Um, the reason that I bring this up is because uh, Enrico Matti is not without controversy. Uh, he is said to have supplied the Algerian independence movement with arms uh, and material uh, in order to for them to uh, drive the french occupiers out of algeria so um, there is a sort of uh, this is clearly a sort of a it was clearly a, a sort of a, an excellent strategic move for Italy. They really sort of secured uh, those natural resources from Algeria. But obviously there is that sense where um, it's a sort of a zero sum game. I think was is the impression that I get from that from the Matti plan is if if Italy is winning then uh, then maybe France isn't and Spain certainly isn't. Spain uh, having been sort of uh, reduced from its uh, gas supply following the stoppage of Algerian flows via Morocco last year so Italy big plans uh, and and more to come I think um the, uh, there's, there's been a lot of talk this week about uh, a new uh, multi-billion dollar investment uh, from ENI in Libya uh, for an offshore gas project which could uh, feed into the Greenstream uh, pipeline which also runs into Italy. Uh, Egypt also, uh, the Italian foreign minister I think was in Cairo uh, this week. Talking about again about gas uh, in addition to other things, but but gas was certainly on the menu, um, and 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 those Egyptian uh, LNG plants uh, really taking uh, gas from from Israel and the East Med and uh, from domestic uh, Egyptian production in order to export LNG to Egypt and other places. I think I mean that's that's quite notable. I think in some ways because uh, Egypt is going through its own economic crisis, inflation is sky high, um, and the government has essentially told uh, local businesses, local power producers, to turn down production in order to save gas for export. So I think there's a there's a number of uh, quite sort of political moves there which brings in both sort of European questions and, and, and conflicts, but also some some local issues. I think, you know, obviously that point when um, a country such as Egypt starts saying... You know that they can't uh, they can't run their own factories uh, and obviously the economic problems that that's going to bring in order to export gas obviously makes sense on a sort of a fiscal financial uh, basis but there's obviously going to be a sort of a real economic challenge domestically and I think you know we uh, it's only been it uh, was well, slightly over ten years since the Arab Spring so I think the 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 idea that uh, that you know the, that uh, North Africa is safe from uh, political turmoil. is is one that should maybe be viewed with some caution. So, yeah, there's a, there's a few balls in the air, but uh, Italy is certainly keen to, uh, to to push for more. And uh, North Africa seems uh, eager to uh, play its part. Yeah,
0: so and uh, I, Italy more broadly, as you say, political turmoil, not putting them off, and they're dead keen. And it seems like, it's as, as you say, it's not just energy security they're talking here, all, all manner of things. It's just quite interesting to see this uh, play out the way it has, even if it does. Um, I don't know if it. Uh, to what extent other uh, countries around you know you mentioned Spain and, and others being. Um, I don't know. Put off is the right word, but uh, yeah. I mean, it seems that like Italy are pretty pretty dead keen. Is that a fair way of putting it?
2: Yeah, and I think I, mean, I think you know Italy's the way in which that Italy and any have worked together has been I think really interesting. I think there's been a really clear push, a sort of strategic rationale for the country to secure gas resources and using its obviously its sort of uh deep connections with its uh, national oil company to uh, to pursue that uh, that that drive i mean so in addition to those north african steps which all feeds into extra gas for italy i mean for for europe you know more broadly but but for italy in particular um, they're 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 also uh, pursuing uh, floating LNG plans in, uh, in 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 Congo from around from uh, from from West Africa with uh, some some quite big uh, with new LNG exports set to start I think next year and, and and sort of more kind of coming down the line so I think it's a, it's a really fascinating way in which we see a company working for um Sort of geopolitical kind of an end, isn't it? I mean, I think obviously that there, there is, there is going to be an an economic rationale for that, and 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 I'm sure that uh, and he's uh, making uh, good uh, good financial returns. But the number of times that you see uh, Claudio Descalzi in the in the company of top uh, Italian politicians is, is is really striking, and obviously it, it feels like there's more to come. So uh, yeah, it's. Uh, that he's, that they're certainly racking up the air miles. Yeah,
0: I, I don't think I don't think he's in that picture we've used for the article, but the the picture you've got there, they, the, the, the three uh, ministers, that they, they all look pretty cosy there. Yeah, you could see Claudio uh, on that couch, couldn't you? <laughs> Just tucking in there, yeah. Okay, uh, well, I think that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. So thank you to Ed and to Hamish for joining me. I've been Alison Thomas, and thanks for listening.
1: Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, Leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.